0: someone who's both. Uh, if, if for some reason you don't know Kevin, Kevin is on staff as an associate pastor and team builder, overseeing multiple areas, uh, worship tech, millennial, uh, what it, there's a yeah, better name. Millennials, millennials. we'll call them millennials, but there's a better name for that. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, no introduction needed, but just wanted to point out who, he, you can come on up. Okay. Wanted to point out who he was in case you didn't know him. Thank you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, do it.
1: Thank you. Kurt's one of the only people I know that can give an announcement and it like changes your life. Isn't that true? I did a preach call with him, uh, not this sermon, but the sermon before, where he shared my story. He was like, just a thought. Your story is interesting. He shared my story, and I went, I'm so inspiring. <laughs> wow, when you tell it, it's amazing. How are you guys doing this morning? Okay, thank you for that. There's really like two types of responses when people ask you how you're doing, you're allowed to give, right? Like one of them is what you just did, a version of good, fine, nice. Nice? (laughs) I want to be the person that's like, how you doing? You're like, nice. (laughs) That's who I want to be. So that's one option, if you're weird. The other option that you do, and that we do all around here the other, all the time, like, and can you guess what it is? So busy, right? That's the other response that we give. Oh man, I'm so busy right now. I got so much going on or working for the weekend or doing the daily grind or pick whatever weird catchphrase that is your go-to for, that communicates, I have a lot going on. And there's this subtext underneath that, I'm busy, that says, please don't add to my calendar. Please, please, I'm just asking you, don't ask me to go to coffee. I'm so busy, right? All of us feel and maybe not all of us, but most of us, I think, feel so busy. Like we have so much going on. And we do. I have good news for you, though. If that's you and you feel like, I just have too much going on, there was this uh, study that came out uh, recently where they surveyed people who self-selected as, I'm too busy, I have too much going on. And of the people who said, I don't spend enough time with my kids. I wish I could, I just, I'm so busy I don't have enough time to spend with my kids. And they're lacking because of it. Over 60% of them surveyed are actually spending more time with their kids than any other generation. That's great. That's good news, right? Uh, And also in the survey, people who said, I wish I had more leisure time. I just don't have enough leisure time. In this study, the majority of them had more leisure time than any other in history. So the good news is, if you're feeling like I'm super busy, is you're doing better than you think. We're, you're, you're okay, right? This is good. So Kurt gave me this sermon, or uh, this opportunity to speak, and I had this sermon ready like, A month or two ago, and I just—it just—I had this sermon, and he's like, "When do you want to preach? How about this day?" I'm like, "Great, that that day's fine." And it's really interesting how this sermon fits with where we're we're at in Lake Sam. If you remember a few weeks ago, uh, Justine preached a sermon on suffering, and it was incredible. If you haven't heard it, please listen to it. It's amazing, and it gave us permission to suffer. It brought suffering back into this thing that is something that God is in. It put him, made him the God of suffering again. And it invited us to take those things that we suffer and take them out of the, the cloud, out of the darkness, out of that hidden place where we don't want to deal with it and bring it to him, which is really cool, really interesting. And God can do something with that. And in the last couple of weeks after that, we've been um, talking about all the different reasons why God is trustworthy. Because if you're going to bring a hard thing to him, he better be trustworthy, right? Because if he's not, if, if you can't trust him with your stuff, then you're not going to bring your stuff to him. And then he can't do something with it. Even last week, we looked at just the week of Jesus' death and all the reasons that it, it, supernatural occurrences happen in such a way where God is so in control. He's everything. He's got it all figured out. He's got it covered. So, He's trustworthy. And then, so this sermon that I have this morning, uh, it, I didn't know how it fit, really, because that's, that's really cool, and it feels like it's going somewhere, but I didn't know where it went. Until I was reading, uh, I was reading in Exodus, and I was like, ah, this is it. This is where we're at. There's this cool story that parallels where Lake Sam has been, uh, and so I want to share it with you. It's in uh, Exodus chapter 16. And so, by the way, this is what happened. If you know the story of the Israelites, uh, they were in Egypt. They were slaves. We all know this story. Moses let my people go. We all watched the Prince of Egypt when Disney put it out, right, or the Charlton Heston one, whatever, <laughs> depending on which generation you're from. <laughs> you saw an Egypt movie, and so you know the like the let my people go thing. And they left Egypt uh, out of captivity. Uh, they went through the Red Sea. God parted the Red Sea. They walked through on dry ground, and then He unparted it and uh, all the people following the Israelites were swept away, so we rescued them. And then we have this. I have a clicker. Oh, there we go. Okay. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the Desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, forgive me if I pronounced that wrong, on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. So this is two months later. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. "'The Israelites said to them, "'If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. "'There we sat around pots of meat "'and ate all the food we wanted. "'But you have brought us out into this desert "'to starve this entire assembly to death.'" So there's a little bit of revisionist history happening, right? If you read the story, you know, they were just like chilling, just eating pots of meat, right? Like they present this story of themselves of like, we just sat around and ate food and watched Netflix and just hung out, it was awesome, They were slaves. They weren't treated very well. And if you remember the story when Moses came in, he actually like tried to help them and made it worse. So they got less food and had to do more work with less materials. So they're not doing great and they're not remembering things exactly how they were. But I sort of think of the the slave moment as the moment they were suffering and God brought them out of suffering. And he's about to show them that, they're trust, that he's trustworthy here. So the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. But By the way, that test, Justine talked about that in her sermon. There's a difference between suffering versus testing versus all these other things. Uh, this is a test. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. More on that later. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, the flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And we know that, now, this isn't going to be a new thing. This is called manna, which literally means, like in the Hebrew, they ask the question, what is this? And the word for manna is close to the word for what is it? So it's kind of like, uh, if, we, if we were to like bread right in to heaven, we we're like, what's up? That's... What's this called? It's called Wazab, because we don't know what it is. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it till morning. So like good Israelites, what did they do? Some of them paid no attention to Moses. This would be me if I was here. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them, naturally. So this miraculous bread came down. God is like, every day you gather it, uh, here's the rules. Don't keep any of it. It's not going to last. Every day you go out and, and do this thing. So each morning as they gathered as much as they needed, when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses, probably because they were like, Uh, you told us to only gather enough for one day and we gather twice as much. I remember the maggots. I don't want maggots in my bed anymore. That's a weird, why did I go there? Are they hiding manna in their bed? (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, (laughs) This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you were to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. So what did the Israelites do? Of course, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out, so the people rested on the seventh day. So we have the suffering part, the Egypt story, when they come out of Egypt. We have the trusting part, where we're learning, all the Israelites are learning all the ways that they can trust God. If the Red Sea wasn't enough, if the Passover story wasn't enough, then here they are wandering in the desert, and he miraculously provides them food from things that shouldn't exist. And by the way, scholars talk a lot about what this manna is, and they go, well, there, you know, there's this insects that, in the desert that secrete this chemical that in the morning it is bread-like and kind of tastes like honey, and then it melts when the sun comes out. Or maybe there's this other local thing, like it, when it mixed with the dew in the morning, it combines to make this, uh, this thing called manna. But the problem is all of the, like, natural solutions to what this manna could be would last uh, community about like a week or so. And they lived on this for 40 years. So clearly something miraculous has happened. All the scholars are like, I wish I could explain it in a natural way, I wish I could tell you what this manna is, but it's just miracle? Which scholars don't like to admit, but that's, there you have it. And so God is proving over and over and over that he's trustworthy. I'm providing for you, I got your back. And I'm telling you to do this in one day. And then they go do it, and then when they, don't, when they disobey, he's like, I, this is because I told you to do it all in one day. And then he changes the rules on the sixth day and says gather twice as much, and miraculously it doesn't spoil like it did on all the other days. So here's where I think the Lord has them and where I think he's having us for this next um, iteration in this weird mini-series we're having. Sabbath. So he uh, tells the people go into the desert, and he promises them they're going to go out of the desert into the promised land. So they have a goal, right? They're like, we're going to do this. Let's, let's get out of the desert. Let's find this promised land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's incredible. We'll be able to, to set up a city there. We'll be able to worship God there. We'll be able to raise livestock. We'll be, it'll be awesome. So let's get out of the desert as fast as possible. And God's like, okay, okay, great, but hold up. One-seventh of your week I want you to stop. And one-seventh of your week, don't even go out and gather stuff. So to do that, to make that one day happen, they also have to spend time on the sixth day doing twice as much to get ready for the seventh day. So this big goal they have of getting out of the desert, they no longer can do as efficiently as they would like because he's asking for a seventh of their time to, to not do that and another chunk of that time to get ready for that seventh day. And I feel like when we talk about Sabbath, and when the word Sabbath comes up, it, it's so easy, right? Just don't work. No big deal. Oh, just rest. Okay, I got it. And at the same time, we go, Ugh, a seventh of my day? Oh, my week, though? I have this I have stuff I want to do. Like, I have... I have a career I need to focus on. I have, like, my home life needs to get under control. I have all these projects I want to do. I have these hobbies. I have all this stuff. I'm so busy. And you want me to stop for a day? You're crazy. Like, we don't, we're the people who don't take sick days, right? Because if you take a sick day, what happens? The next day, you have twice as much work. So you're not actually helping the situation by taking a sick day. So we just don't take sick days. By the way, please, if you're sick, please stay home. Public service announcement from me. Um, and, you know, if, your kids, if you're sick, your kids don't stop, right? You still have to parent them. They still are full of energy. So you don't really get, if you're home, you don't really get a sick day at all. And so the idea of just taking a day off is madness, is bonkers. I'm so grateful to, I'm full-time at Lake Sam, and I'm so grateful to be part of an organization that values the Sabbath to the point where it's actually a part of my job to take Sabbath. If I don't take Sabbath, I get in trouble. And I recognize that it's really irresponsible for someone who works at a church to talk about something that is really easy for someone to do if they work at a church, and it feels impossible for everyone else. It feels like, of course I can do it, but I just want to say, I want to, I'm acknowledging that to say, yes, that is a factor here, but there's more to it than that. I've been doing Sabbath from before I was on, on staff at church, and I found so much life in it, and, I, and God has done so much good with it, that it's, and it's so valuable to me that I'm like, we have to figure this out. Not only that, I'm going to argue this. Doing devotions is going to be the single, if you only do one thing for your faith, do devotions. It'll be the single biggest change in your life. You'll meet God, you'll grow, you'll change, you'll become a new creation. And a close second, super close second, is Sabbath. It seems crazy, but I I believe that. And so we have to figure this out, this impossible thing called Sabbath. Sabbath. So that's where we're going this morning is we're going to figure this out. We have Robert Kelly praying, also known as R. Kelly, also known as when he's grumpy on a Sunday night, we call him Bob Kelly. (laughs) It's his alter ego. Uh, So Robert, thank you for praying. Pray for me, pray for us, and uh, lift up another church as well.
0: Lord, we thank you that you are here with us this morning. We thank you that you have given a Sabbath rest to your people, that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Mm, That is something that we can still practice, we can still benefit from, from who you are. We're made in your image, and you rested, Lord. When we're doing that, we are patterning ourselves after you. We are being in your likeness when we do that, Lord. That's the main reason we do it, Lord, but you also give good gifts to us through it, Lord. We want to practice that. We want that to be part of our lives. I pray that you would show us how to do that, Lord, that you would show us this morning, each one of us, ways that we can rest before you, that we can stop before you and, and, and see you for who you are in that moment, Lord. And this morning, I also lift up uh, Redeemer Church in La Mirada, California, Lord. I pray that you would, um, you would teach this to them there as well, Lord, that they would see who you are as they stop to rest um, on this day that is set apart for you. I pray all this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. You cheated in your prayer, you, you figured out where I'm going, and you went there before me. So when I first started this idea of Sabbath, I sort of felt like it was one of those things where it's like, God didn't abolish it necessarily in the New Testament, but it doesn't, it's sort of optional for Christians, right? Because like, our, our uh, thing that we get to do is just be like, oh Jesus, we just Jesus it. Like, Jesus is that, so I don't have to to do anything in the Old Testament because Jesus died and he just abolished the Old Testament, right? And there's this sense at which when we interact with Old Testament, we have to keep in mind that Jesus is a thing, and so that changes the way we understand the Old Testament. The problem is, here's the first time that Sabbath, or the idea of Sabbath, is mentioned in Scripture. Genesis 2. By the seventh day, this is God's making stuff, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So it's really hard for me to approach the Old Testament and be like, yeah, it doesn't apply to me when it applied to God. Like, so when, whenever you look at the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, but in, this is all throughout the Bible, there's two lenses we tend to do or ways we tend to look at it, a lot of us will look at uh, something in the Bible and we'll go, oh, that probably doesn't apply to us today. It was probably like a cultural thing that applied to the Israelites, but not really to me. And the Bible has to prove that, no, actually that still applies to us. And that's one lens to approach the Bible. I find that to be problematic uh, in general just because it's the Bible. If it has authority in your life, then it having to prove itself to you doesn't feel very authoritative. The way I read the Bible is I assume it is for me. If it gives a command I go that applies to me unless there's evidence that suggests otherwise. So we could look at Sabbath and go, all right, does it really apply to me though? Really? Is an Exodus. That's Old Testament. Like, you know, the first century people needed that. We don't. Or we could say, this definitely applies to me, unless it can prove otherwise. Unless I can make an argument for this was a cultural thing. And when I see Genesis, I go, it's kind of hard to make a cultural argument. There was no culture. It was God. He did it. So, okay. Uh, that's, that's the first time. Here's, uh, the, then Exodus 16 is the second time that Sabbath is mentioned. Here's the third time. It's this little passage in the Old Testament called the Ten Commandments. Have you heard of this? I feel, I feel like I could go into a room people who have never heard of Jesus, don't know the Bible, and it'd be like the Ten Commandments. and would be like, yeah, okay, I've heard of those. I, I know what's up. Here's, here's the Sabbath part. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. So there's that like loophole that he's like, well, I'm not going to work, but my servants did, so I still got work done. Not here. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the Ten Commandments is like, if you only had a small amount of time to say, this is what it means to be human. This is what it means to be a community. God is helping uh, these people who were slaves that had no culture, that had no rules for living. Here's how you do life. Here's the Ten Commandments. Don't have other gods, got it. Don't worship idols, make sense. Don't misuse Yahweh's name. Don't keep the Sabbath, honor your parents. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, and don't desire other people's stuff. That's a fancy word, phrase for covet is the word for that. So if I'm God, you're in trouble. But if I'm God, and I'm giving the Ten Commandments, I'm going, what needs explanation? I think I would focus on the murdery bits, right? Like, don't murder people. Let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Don't kill people, it's bad, or whatever. Like, I would spend some time on that. I'd probably spend some time on the adultery bits too, like and the stealing, the lying, the how we relate to each other. Like that feels important to me, and it feels I would spend a lot of time expounding on those things. And God does a little of that, but for the most part, if you read the Ten Commandments, it's like don't have other gods, and here's some stuff on that. Don't worship idols, a little stuff on that. Uh, so the first, the first five, he gives a, a, some detail, but then he just goes and don't murder, and don't commit adultery, and don't steal, and don't lie, and don't covet. The end. So he spends no time on those, but he spends a lot of time on Sabbath. Let me go back to that. It's, it's not just like, remember, so the command is remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. And then he goes into more like, so six days, here's how this works. Six days you work. One of the days you don't work. Oh, and don't do the loophole. You're his children can't work. Your servants can't work. Your no one works. Is it clear? Oh no? Okay. Well, here's more. God didn't work on the seventh day, so therefore you don't either. So that's what God does. Why? Because we hear something. I, I, this is my uh, what I think. I think we hear something like "Don't murder," and we're like, "Yeah, that seems like a good rule." Yeah, I'm in. Don't murder. Got it. Cool. And God's like, yeah. Also, uh, one day a week don't work. And we're like, what? No, calm down, slow down. Don't you want to get a whole day? He's like, yeah, I want a whole day. But, okay, fine. I'll have my service. No, 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 no. A whole day. No one works. Rest. That's impossible, God. So He spends time explaining the thing that feels impossible. And once again, He references creation and Him resting. Later on, uh, after the Israelites get out of the desert, they present the Ten Commandments again. And this time it says, If anyone fails to keep the Sabbath, kill them. Put them to death. Holy cow, that's like you took it to 11 there. Kill them? If someone just works on the Sabbath day, that's a murdery thing? You're killing me. Literally, if I don't keep the Sabbath, you're killing me. What the heck? So clearly we, we can dis- decipher from this using all of my deep Bible college background. Sabbath seems important. <laughs> <laughs> can we agree on that? <laughs> Sabbath seems pretty important to God. He keeps, he keeps bringing it up, and he keeps raising the stakes on it. makes it seem like it's more and more of a big deal. So I was, I was working in IT, and I started pursuing this idea of a Sabbath. And I had some bad false starts First, I thought, I'm just going to do the spirit of the Sabbath, which doesn't mean anything, by the way. <laughs> the, we Christians, we get to just say, like, it's the spirit of the tithe. It's the spirit of the Sabbath. It's the spirit of doing whatever I want. and But that doesn't actually mean anything. Uh, so I was keeping the spirit of the Sabbath by making a calendar reminder for myself in the middle of the day to take a five-minute break, leave my desk, walk around and pray. And I'm like, I'm keeping Sabbath. I'm not. <laughs> that's not it at all. So then I was like, okay, that's, that's really not a Sabbath. That's really just a five-minute break where I go and pray, which is cool, but also not a Sabbath. So then I was like, okay, I, let's just do the math. I don't have a full day. I just am too busy. So let's just divide a day by, by seven, and we'll just spread it out. I'll do like a mini Sabbath every day. And I did the math, and I was like, three and a half hours a day. I don't have three and a half hours a day. Do you have three and a half hours a day? Okay, but no, but that's fine. Because I'm sleeping for eight of the hours of the Sabbath. I'm only awake for, if I get eight hours of sleep, I'm only awake for like 16 hours. So let's just do that one. We'll divide the waking hours of the Sabbath across the week. Loophole. Two and a half hours. Still too much time. I don't have the time to do that. And I tried. I really tried to make this everyday Sabbath work which would be a great name for a book, by the way, Everyday Sabbath. Um, And I I really tried hard to make it work. And what I found was it's just not that restful. What are you going to do, wake up two hours early to rest? (laughs) Feels counterintuitive. You just had your long day of work. You come home and rest? Maybe. Okay, sure. It just didn't really seem to work that well. So then I was like, all right, I got to figure it out. There are seven days in a week. I work for five of them. That means there are two options for me, Saturday and Sunday. Sunday, I lead worship often, so let's do Saturday. And that was, I, I started that and was, was going okay. I had a problem, though. Do you remember we were, doing, we were really pushing steering teams really hard? And one of them was the worship steering team. And it was one of the greatest experiences of my life and one of the most stressful experiences of my life, the worship <laughs> steering team. And Adam just laughed because he also was on the worship steering team and would say the same thing. Uh, so we would meet every Saturday morning, and it was great. We were seeking the Lord, we were trying to figure out worship, and worship got better. But it wasn't what I would consider restful. It was stressful. It was hard. We fought a lot. We disagreed a lot. Sometimes we hurt each other's feelings and had to go after the meeting to talk about it. So by the time we're done with that meeting, I'm, I'm sitting at home and I'm like, my blood is is like pumped. I'm like... Sometimes angry, I have to make another phone call, and like, works this out, and like, oh, also I got to-do items, and so Saturday was just kind of a bust for me. It just didn't really work. It was hard. But stuff did start happening that was really interesting, because even though that first half of the day was kind of shot a little bit, it wasn't restful, it was stressful, it felt like work to me, God still started showing up on my Sabbath, because I would take it seriously. And I would find on those Saturdays that when I was thinking, today's my Sabbath, oh, I got a worship steering team meeting, all right, I'll drive into town, do my thing, those meetings were different, because I wasn't thinking of them in terms of, all right, I guess I have to do this thing, I'm so busy, God, life is so hard, why me? And this is like such a first world problem, like, people have real issues, mine is I have to drive into Bellevue on Saturday morning. It's fine. I'm good. But when you but when I started thinking of this as like this is a time of rest for me. This is helpful for me. This is when God wants to do something with this chunk of time that I'm calling Sabbath. He'd recenter it. I felt like I was less and less like I was doing a daily grind and more and more like God, I'm yours. I'm your servant. You're calling me to do certain things. You're calling me to serve. If you remember the huddle Uh, one of the uh, lowest uh, liked concepts we did at the huddle was we talked about the fact that we get to serve not we have to serve. And that perspective is an important shift that has made a difference in my life, but part of the reason that happened was because I was doing Sabbath regularly and God was recentering me and making it less about the things that I have to do and all the things that I get to do because I'm a servant and he loves me and he's for me. It's about peace. So I'm doing the Sabbath thing, and I'm sort of ready to give it up. Sort of like, eh, I just can't make it work. In America in 2018, or 2017 at the time, or 2016, or whatever year, it just isn't realistic. And then I went to Hebrews. I didn't go to Hebrews. I was doing devotions, and Hebrews came up. Because when you're trying not to do something, you don't look for Scripture to tell you to do the thing. At least I don't do that. Uh, Hebrews... There remains then, this is the end of a a longer thing, but there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. And I feel, I I said it in a way that how how I took it, I felt, where it's like, follow their example of disobedience, because you're a bad person who doesn't do Sabbath. That's how I felt it. When I when I read this, but that's not really what it's saying, is it? There remains. This is in the New Testament, by the way, for those who aren't uh, knowledgeable about the books of the Bible. Hebrews is in the New Testament, and it's it was. People think that it was written pretty late, after the Gospels, after a lot of Paul's letters, uh, and it's saying that there remains. There still is this thing called Sabbath for God's people. It still matters. And so let's make every effort to enter that so no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So there's this obedient part of keeping Sabbath. And I don't really like that that much, but it's there. It's Part of the reason why we do Sabbath is because God says you should do Sabbath. So there's this, this obedient part. And, okay, so also in... in uh, In Hebrews, there's this, like, so if you read this passage, some of you are going to come up after me uh, and tell me this passage isn't talking about the whole day of Sabbath. It's talking about this other thing. I I have a slide for you. There is this daily thing that we have, and Hebrews talks a lot about it, that every time we come to God, there's this rest. We can rest in his presence. When we, on Sunday morning when we worship him, we rest in his presence. And that is true. But Sabbath centers us in a way that you can't do in your daily grind gets you out of that. So I have this, I have this metaphor that God has given me to use, and I don't like it. So I'm sorry that I feel like such a dweeb using this metaphor. But this is what I have, and this is what God gave me. And I, this morning I was praying, God, please don't make me say this. And He's He's like, you have to. Okay, here's a dumb metaphor that proves a point. <laughs> so. I've had fast internet in my house for about ten years. I've had the same carrier that provides that internet. And uh, Johanna and I, when we first got married, we got, we were like, we need high-speed internet. We got it. And every time we move, we just transfer it over. We have all the equipment. I bought all the equipment, so it just transfers with us. Um, and every time, like my brother comes over, he's like, dude, your internet is awful. Like it's slow. And I'm like, I don't tell you, I'm paying for real big fast internet. It should be real good. And it's, But it just wasn't. And I just kept assuming that like, oh, when we lived in Southern California, there's like billions of people there. That's my exaggeration. I do hyperbole a lot. Um, there's lots of people there that share the Internet. And so it's probably just everyone's using the Internet, so it's slow. And then when we moved, we are like, oh, well, we're just in an area that doesn't get fast Internet. So that's probably why. And then we moved again, and we're like, oh, we're back in the middle of the city, but there's a lot of people in the city. So... That's probably why we're not getting fast internet. And then we moved to North Bend, and we're like, "Well, that's like practically Spokane, so of course we don't have fast internet there. It's really far away from civilization. Like, it's our house is powered by a mountain goat. Of course we don't have <laughs> fast internet." And so we we just weren't getting the speeds that we were paying for. So I uh, the other day I was I was looking up something else at our internet provider. I, it was. Completely unrelated to this, and and I uh, found that they had a deal that would give me about twice as fast internet for about the same price. And I'm like, oh, I got to lock in for a year. That's, uh, clearly, I've been locked in for 10 years. So, what's another year? Sure, great. So I called them. They came over and they they made a change. I don't know what that means, but they made a change, and they're like, your internet is now fast. Congratulations. And the guy was there, and I I was on my laptop, and I ran a speed test to see how fast is it actually. And I'm like, it's still the same speed it's been for the last 10 years. I don't know. And he's like, oh, that's weird. Huh. And so we're like, troubleshooting like he's unplugging things and moving things around and I'm, I'm trying to stay in this non-technical world so you, you can follow the story but he, he's doing all this stuff and I'm like nope still slow nope still slow nope still slow and he makes a change and I go whoa that's what I'm supposed to be getting I could download it, like a whole YouTube video in like a second this is awesome that's the standard that I judge faster than that is how fast you can do YouTube videos <laughs> I go to, I like go to like YouTube and I'm like 4k video yes and like it's like this naturey thing and I, like I'm like pull it up on my TV so it's the largest screen possible. I'm like, yeah, I did it. We did it. Awesome. And he goes, yeah, when you, this router that you have, yeah, when we bypassed that, your internet went fast. So this whole time, I could have had fast internet, except the equipment, this router that I've been going from place to place to place, has been slowing me down. This whole time, I, it, it's been available to me. The internet, fast, it's been available to me this whole time, but for the last 10 years, if I'm like on my computer and I'm like trying to play a game, I go, oh, Johanna's watching Netflix in the other room because I can't play my game anymore. Or like, oh, my PlayStation's running an update, can't do anything on the internet right now. Now I'm like, PlayStation's gonna do an update, I'm gonna watch two Netflix shows, I'm gonna download this game over here, and I'm still gonna watch this video in high definition. Yeah! It's like a whole new world. I'm so excited for fast internet. And so I bought a new router and now all in my house, I have fast internet. So this whole time, there's this one piece of equipment that's been throttling me. Fast internet has been coming to my house. It's been available to me. And then it gets to this router and it bottlenecks. And so I don't get to experience the thing that I was intended to experience. Now you see why God won't let me give up this metaphor. I will argue that doing devotions is like that internet service provider. Every time we get to go to God, we get that fast, high speed. Everything you need is right there at your fingertips. And I also will argue that Sabbath is that router. If you don't do it, you still have access to the internet. You still have access to all the things that God has for you. But it's throttled. It's not the full intended experience. It's not as good. It causes you to sometimes have to make compromises. And when you get this Sabbath thing figured out, boom, the whole world opens up. You get the thing that you were intended to experience. And I know this is hard, and I know at this point you're going, okay, that's great, but it still feels impossible. And here's where I struggle for real. This is an, a real thing that I struggle all the time with this. Is our calling as Christians is to, Jesus said at one point, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In other words, how the, I'm going on my way to die. You also are, should be willing to pick up a cross that they can hang you on so you also can die. That's what it takes to follow me. In other words, let me translate that for you. Do whatever it takes. And so there's a part of me that's, uh, if you were to ask me, so are you saying I should quit my job then? Is that what you want me to do? Are you telling me I should, like, restructure my whole life around Sabbath? Are you telling me I should quit your ministry team then, if that's what it takes to keep Sabbath? Yes. Well, maybe. Well, not no. How's that for a confident answer? <laughs> but yes, yes, yes. We're, we're called to do whatever it takes. We're called to follow him. We're called to deny ourselves, take up a cross and follow him, be his follower. So yeah, if that's what it takes, do what it takes. But at the same time, he provided you that job. He did. I believe that. He's given you that, the schedule that, that you have. He's in it. He's working in you. You have relationships with people that, that don't know him that you wouldn't otherwise have if it weren't for your schedule. So, ah, I don't know if it's if God's calling you to quit your job to keep a Sabbath. Is that important enough? I don't know. It's just here's the thing though: if He's calling you to do it, you should do it. In the end, that's what matters. If he's calling you to quit one of my ministry teams, that's going to hurt me, that's going to cause me more work to do because he wants you to keep Sabbath, I'm in. Do it. If he's calling you to quit your job so that way you can redesign your life so you can keep Sabbath, yeah, that's what you should do. That's exactly what you should do. Whatever it takes. Here's what I know. It's our job to be faithful. When he's asking us to do something, it's our job to respond it's his responsibility to make a way. It's his responsibility to work out the details. There's this beautiful combination of things. When we talk about tithe, it's, uh, we're giving a portion of our money and expecting him and trusting him to use the rest. Sabbath is like a tithe of time. Same thing, except that your money is your money and sometimes you'll have it, sometimes you won't. But my time, oh, it matters to me. So here's the thing. Is God for you? Thank you. Is he trustworthy? I mean, he's, if he hasn't proven himself now, we, he, yeah, he's trustworthy. So, And does he want us to do this? Does he want us to get it right? Okay, so if all of those things are true, then what do we have to do? Let's ask him to figure it out. Ask him, talk to him. Engage me in the conversation. If you ask him, he'll make a way. I, I believe that. I strongly, I will live and die on that. If you ask him, he'll make a way. If it matters to you. I want to submit to you that the easiest practical way to do this is Sunday. And you start your Sabbath by coming to church, which already for some of you is like, nope, not Sabbath. But just what would happen if you came to church on Sunday and said, this is my day of rest, and in this day I'm, I'm choosing to be re-centered. How does that change what we do here? Suddenly, entering God's presence is a thing we get to do, we have the privilege to do because we're resting in his presence. When we talk to each other, we ask how we're doing, we pray for each other, it's I'm caring for my brother and my sister, and I'm entering into the rest. And it's not work. It's not hard. Maybe I'm an introvert and I get tired by being around people, but this is still my day of rest. And then I want to uh, submit to you that after church is over, if Sunday will be your Sabbath, you go home and you don't mow the lawn. Don't clean the house. Don't catch up on next week's project. Don't review your calendar. Don't re- re- use that time to do your budget for the month. Because it's your Sabbath, it's your day of rest. Go outside, go out to lunch with your family. Go watch March Madness. Go play board games. (laughs) I like that I got more woos for for board games than I did for March Madness. That's really telling about the demographic that I'm reaching. (laughs) A bunch of nerds. (laughs) And after this, I'm going to go play board games (laughs) and not watch March Madness. So that's the point, though, is on Sunday, if if Sunday's going to be your Sabbath, keep it sacred. Keep it restful. If it feels like work, don't do it. And I know you have kids, you have lives, you have work things. Some of you can't take a full day off because you're on call always. And if if your boss calls, you have to answer it. I get that. And there's this thing where like in you, you're going, oh, what a burden I have to do. I have to give up a whole day. I want to submit this to you. This isn't intended to be a burden. One Sabbath... Jesus was going to the grain fields as his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of that guy, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. I could explain that to you. It doesn't really matter for the context of this sermon. Here's what matters. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. So God is in charge of our suffering. He's the king of that. He is trustworthy, and he's the king of Sabbath. And he's intended it to be not a burden, but a gift. He wants to give you this gift of rest. And in this passage, the reason I picked Mark over the other ones is, is Mark uh, shares this in such an interesting way. He's, he talks about it is you weren't made to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't something that you are a slave to. I must do Sabbath because that's a Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. God did this whole thing, put the whole thing in place to give you a gift that is Sabbath. So don't worry about it. If, You have a a bad Sabbath and you have to take a phone call, don't worry about it. Your kids need your attention because they are your kids and you're the parents. You're responsible. You care about them. It's fine, do it. But just rest. Keep it. Keep the Sabbath. It's a gift to you. Maybe Sunday doesn't work for you. Do it Saturday. If Saturday, uh, if if the whole day doesn't work for you, try this. Say, God, I need I need a Sabbath. I want to be obedient. I want this rest thing. I want this gift you've given me. But I don't know how to do it. So I'm going to give you Sunday or Saturday evening. 3 hours or so. And then start doing keeping that holy. And then after a couple of weeks of that, you can go, "Okay God, I'm ready. Take me deeper. Next step, we'll add the afternoon." And then as you continue in that habit, "Okay God, I want to give the entire day to you. I want this gift." And here's what happens. Much like devotions, much like worship, much like prayer, if you take it seriously, he honors it. If you try and fudge it, if you're like, I'm not technically working, but you're actually kind of working, you're not doing Sabbath. You're just wasting time. You're just being inefficient. If you're not going to do Sabbath, just work the whole day or whatever. Bow the lawn, do whatever you're going to do. But if you you take it seriously, he's going to honor it. And it's just so interesting. It feels like I'm being so dramatic about this. Like, really, Kevin, you're going to push this hard for the Sabbath? Isn't there, like, more important things you could be pushing this hard for? I'm being a little dramatic about how important the Sabbath is. Why? Because it seems like God is pretty important to God. If they don't keep it, kill them. I did it, so you should too, is what God is saying to us. So it matters. And what happens when he blesses it? The rest of your time goes better. You get rest. You get centered. I keep using the word centered. And the reason I keep using the word centered is this really interesting thing, is the enemy, your sin nature, culture, wants you to find your identity in work. It wants you to find your identity in being busy. It wants you to find your identity in how your house is. There's this, uh, a, lot of, a lot of Christian like marriage people talk about the fact that men tend to find their identity in work, in their job, and women tend to find their identity in their home, and sometimes that's flipped, but just in general that's true. What we forget is, that's not good. It's not like, thank you, I can now find my identity in work because a counselor told me that's how we tend to do it. No, that's bad. Your whole life becomes centered on work. And what this culture and your sin nature and the enemy want to do is make you focused on that and make it feel like a chore. And make it feel like a grind. Make it feel like, oh, I'm so busy. Please don't give me another meeting. Oh, I'm just working for the weekend. Oh, life is just a slog these days. What happens when you keep Sabbath? It centers you. It takes you out of that. It reminds you that your identity is not, who you, uh, is not in your work. It's not in your home. It's not in being busy. It's being his child. It's being his. It's being with him. It recenters you. It gives you purpose. It reminds you that life is good. He reminds you to stop and enjoy things. It reminds you that your family is is not a burden. It's a gift to you. So this gift God wants to give you, is if you enter into it will show all of the other gifts he's given you in a way that's incredible. So these days, I regularly take a Sabbath, and even still, I can choose not to take it seriously. Even still, on Thursday evening, I go, it'd be really nice if I could spend, I take my Sabbath on Fridays, it'd be really nice if I could work on Friday. Maybe I'll just do a little, no, I just can't do it. It's just too important. It matters too much. It's so important that we get it right. So with that, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of a Sabbath. Lord, there's people in this room that even after hearing this would say, yes, I want to be obedient. Yes, I want to enter into your rest, but it still feels impossible to me. So Lord, we lift up our time to you. We offer it to you, and we say, we want this to work. I want this to happen. Help me, God. If you actually want us to do it, you're going to have to make a way for us. So as we lift up our time, you pray that you would speak to us about how we can accomplish this. Give us time. Give us a perspective of when we can make this work. Help us to start this well. And Lord, we're going to have to trust you. Lord, I don't have time to not work, so I need you to cover the rest of my week. I need you to cover my time. I need you to cover my life. Lord, thank you for the joy that you have for us. Thank you for the recentering you have for us. I ask that you would help us get it right. Reach down in
0: front of us.